وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله أما بعد يقول الله في كتابه الكريم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ووجدك عائلا فأغنى Lady Khadija عليه السلام no doubt is one of the most important women in the religion of Islam at the same time, is one of the greatest personalities in the history of the religion. A fundamental pillar in the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family. If ever you wanted to see the embodiment of patience, the embodiment of generosity, the embodiment of altruism, and the embodiment of sacrifice in one human being, then look no further than Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. Be you Muslim or non-Muslim, you can still learn so many lessons from the life of this great lady that even today when we see discussions of feminism and you see discussions concerning gender studies, it's a shame that in many of the curricula that we see around the world and many of the syllabus that are written in these subjects, there is hardly a mention of Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. Sayyidah Khadija allows you to understand female empowerment. She allows you to understand how a female can be a pillar within a particular area where men dominate. She allows you to understand how a female can leave a legacy behind for every female in the world today. Because the reality is that Sayyidah Khadija is not great in the eyes of Muslims because she's the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him and his family. Or for example, because she's the mother of Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam. Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam is Sayyidah Khadija in the sense that she has her own merit, her own position, her own class, her own status. If you want to look for spirituality, you look no further than Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. If you want to understand how to engage as a female in the world of males when it comes to business and transactions, look at Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. If you want to look at somebody who was seen as being also socially active and a philanthropist, you look at Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. Sadly, when you ask many Muslims, why do you respect Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam? They say to you, bro, because she's the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Or she's the mother of Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam. Okay, but why do you respect her? What is it about her own merit that is worthy of respect? So on the first level, when we honor the biography of Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam, 
It's because we're honoring her because of her merit, not because of her association. Too many Muslims, if they respect somebody, it's out of association rather than out of merit. On the second level, we honor her death every year, probably more than any other sect in the religion of Islam. Nobody is like the Shia when it comes to honoring the death of Sayyidah Khadija There are many Muslims in the world who love Sayyidah Khadija But do not honor her when it comes to the date of her death. When we come to the 10th of Ramadan or the night of the 10th of Shahar Ramadan, you'll find that Shia worldwide come together to honor this lady. Therefore, that accusation that you Shia do not respect the wives of Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi. Here I am sitting in London and there are many of the Shia around the world who are watching this. If we don't have respect for the wives of Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi, then why are we honoring this lady tonight? A person who doesn't honor this lady tonight is someone who has shown a lack of respect. Because this lady was with Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi for 26 years of his life. Name me another wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi who was with him for 26 years. You can name me some wives who were with him for 9 years. Yet those 9 years of one wife gets more accolades than 26 years with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. And that's why the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and his family would mention on numerous occasions that when people rejected me for example, she believed in me. When people, for example, she accepted me, when people rejected me, she believed in me, when people doubted me, she shared her wealth with me when others deprived me. Which other wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi comes near that standing? And that's why for us and our communities, we should not stop naming the name Khadija. I've noticed recently that the name like Khadija is not seen as a cool name. Therefore, you'll find many will not name their children Khadija. What they don't realize is in the eyes of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, this Khadija is the most beloved. Therefore, when you name your daughter Khadija, she looks up to the most beloved lady in the eyes of the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. And at the end of the day, if I want to get closer to my Prophet, what better feeling is there than naming my daughter after Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam? Therefore, tonight, let us examine the biography of Sayyidah Khadija And let's look at the impact and the legacy of this great lady. And I'd like to do this in the following stages. Number one, how was she related to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi? Number two, when she inherited her father's business, did she go straight to the office or did she go straight to the Kaaba? And why did she go to the Kaaba straight away upon inheriting her father's business? Number three, when it comes to her business, how did she meet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi? And how did her worker by the name of Maysara describe the Prophet peace be upon him and his family in his work and his earning and his trade? Number four, when it came to her marriage, was she previously married? Number five, was she 40 when she got married? And why is this number 40 always pushed? Number six, when she got married and there was an objection by her uncle when the Holy Prophet proposed, how did Sayyidah Khadija say, Uncle, do not worry. I'll pay for the dowry. I'll look after everything. And what precedent did it set in our communities today? 
Further than that, who is it that read her aqid, her nikah with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and his family? Further than that, when the Prophet received the revelation, did she tell the Prophet, let's go to my Christian cousin so he can verify if you're a Prophet of God or not? And how is this absurd and far away from our beliefs? How mentally strong was Sayyidah Khadija especially when Mecca was calling her husband Abtar? And further than that, in the Sha'ib of Abu Talib, how did she give absolutely everything away from herself, even at the end, her own life? And what was the only wasiyah she left behind? And did the Meccans or indeed the Arabs honor that wasiyah? Let's examine this and dissect her biography in complete depth. Sayyidah Khadija as we know is the daughter of Khuwaylid. Khuwaylid of course means Khalid. Because sometimes when someone for example you speak with them in jest, if you're called Jabir they would call you Juwaybar. And if you're called Khalid, they would call you Khuwaylid. Khuwaylid, her father, as we know, was related to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi through his mother Amina. He was the third cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, his mother. And all of them were related through the grandfather Qusay. So you found that these people in Quraysh were people of honor, people of respect, people who were revered. And above all else, they were known as Hanifs. What's a Hanif? A Hanif is a group of people who had followed the pure, upright way of Ibrahim salam. We know that in Mecca, people had revered Nabi Ibrahim salam, no doubt. They always respected Nabi Ibrahim salam. They knew that that Kaaba was built by who? By Nabi Ibrahim salam. But unfortunately, many of them had left the path of Nabi Ibrahim Many of them had become mushrik. They were now idol worshippers and polytheists. But that doesn't mean that if many people in Mecca had become mushrik, it doesn't mean that every family became mushrik. Of the families where jahiliyyah and shirk did not taint them in the way that others were tainted, was the family of Sayyidah Khadija Look, even Rasulullah his own uncle Abu Lahab was tainted by shirk. But the majority of his family, the line which was the pure line, was a line of Abu Talib, never tainted by shirk. Abdul Muttalib, never tainted by shirk. There were particular lines which were not tainted by shirk. Khadija her father and others were never tainted by shirk, by polytheism. They were a family which was the pure family of Hanifs, a family who had followed the upright way of Nabi Ibrahim salam. Therefore for them things like Salah was still part of their life. Yes, someone will say to me, Sayyidina Salah in terms of how it was instituted was years after Sayyidina Khadija Yes, but that didn't mean that the likes of the Prophets of Allah did not find a way to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the Kaaba. Salah, Dua, Tawaf, all of these were part of their life. When Khuwaylid passed away, who inherited the business of the family? Sayyidah Khadija salam. And when we say inherited the business of the family, we found that Sayyidah Khadija, the moment she inherited her father's business, if you now know you've inherited your dad's business, 
You'll find some people might throw a party. Others might go straight to the office. Others might think of who to employ. You know what she did? She went straight to the Kaaba and started doing tawaf around the Kaaba. Why? Because firstly, this is a rizq and it has only come from a raziq. In the munajat of Imam Ali alayhi salam, what do we say? Mawlaya ya mawlaya, anta al-raziq wa ana al-marzuq. Wa hal yarhamu al-marzuq illa al-raziq. My master, oh my master, you are the sustainer and I am the sustained. Who is there for the sustained except the sustainer? I ask you all, my dear brothers and sisters, when you come upon an investment or you're taking over a business or you're working in a particular company, don't fear the manager or the management and sell your soul for them. Even their rizq relies on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he's the raziq. Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam done something wonderful. While everybody else would say, let's set up a team meeting, get everyone on Zoom, quickly I need to sort out who's my CEO, who's my, in charge of my project. No, 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 no. First and foremost, let me go to the Lord of the Kaaba. And I'll do tawaf around the Kaaba in thankfulness. Because what am I doing in tawaf in reality? I'm recognizing what? That everything is in fluctuation and movement. There's only one constant and that is God. All of us will one day be rich and others of us will one day be poor. But none is like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who remains al-ghani while we are the fuqara. Again, mawlaya ya mawlaya, anta al-ghani wa ana al-faqir. Wa hal yarhamu al-faqir illa al-ghani. My master, oh my master, you are the rich and I am the poor. Who is there for the poor except the rich? Sayyidah Khadija's razaq was because she recognized a razaq. Many of us, our rizq is because we care more about the marzuq than the raziq. We care more about how did they get that money? What happens if they don't like me? What happens if they don't sign the contract? If we have to put alcohol there, put alcohol. As long as we can get that deal. If we have to take them to a club, let's sign the deal in a nightclub. Habibi, they're not the raziq, they're the marzuq. They are sustained, you're sustained. They came from a drop of semen and leave us a piece of dust. You come from a drop of semen and will leave us a piece of dust as well. You don't know where you're going, nor do they know where they're going. You don't know when you're dying, nor do they know when they're dying. Sayyidah Khadija therefore went around in tawaf and then after that, she sat back, looked at her father's business. Of course, she remembered that let's give opportunities to males and females to work. And further than that, even if I'm taking over my father's business, I don't have to be interacting in a way where I compromise my social and my physical hijab. They used to call her Amirat Quraysh. And others would call her Tahira, the pure. She knew that in the world of work, the reality is that you could sit with your female friends, but there may be times where you're going to compromise your hijab, for example, on a social level with your male counterparts. So do I have to be at the forefront of every meeting? No. She had employed someone by the name of Maysara. Maysara was somebody who was an agent for Sayyidah Khadija. The Arabs used to travel with their camels. How many camels do you think Sayyidah Khadija had? 1,000 camels. That's like somebody who owns a company today who's got, for example, 1,000 cars or vans or trucks at their disposal. How wealthy must you be? I'm not going to say Sayyidah Khadija was the wealthiest in Arabia. I could say that there are others like Walid ibn al-Mughira who literally used to swim in wealth. But Sayyidah Khadija was at a very respectable level. A thousand camels were at her disposal. And therefore, 
she had her agent by the name of Maysara, and she had as well a confidant by the name of Nafisa. This Maysara was asked that we need to find an agent who goes with our caravans, where they would either go to Palestine, or they would go to Syria, or they would go to Yemen, or they'd go to Egypt. Said that I need to go, and I need to make sure that we find an agent who will take these caravans. I, Khadija, will stay here in Mecca, but Maysara, you find someone, employ someone. When Abu Talib السلام, heard, he passed the message that my nephew Muhammad would be somebody who at this stage is looking for work. Look how Rasulullah does not find it embarrassing to work. You would think that Rasulullah may turn around and say, well, I'm going to be a prophet or I'm a chosen one. I don't need to work. No, it's an honor. Everybody has to recognize that there are 70 levels of worship and the highest of them or the first of them is to earn a lawful living. Rasulullah was Abu Talib's recommendation to Maysara. Maysara told Khadija, Khadija should employ him. Maysara traveled with Rasulullah towards, let's say, the Levant. When they traveled towards Syria, for example, this Maysara would notice there are times where this Muhammad would act different to others who were around him. While everybody, when they were taking a break, was gossiping or slandering or backbiting, he'd go alone somewhere and sit on the ground. He'd look towards the heavens. He'd be in moments, what we would call today, in meditation or reflection or contemplation, where he'd be thinking about the world. He said to her, I've never seen like him in my life. The way he operates, he's not trying to con someone or scam someone. He's trying to make sure that every penny, as we would use in our language today, a dirham and dinar in those days, every single one of them is spent in the right way. Every single promise is not broken. Nobody is gazumped. Nobody is hurt. Said that the way he would speak, he's a man of truthfulness, a man of trustworthiness. And on top of that, he's doubled our prophets, which ultimately all the Arabs are thinking what? They're thinking that are our prophets doubled or not? So he said to her, I have never seen anyone the like of him. When she heard that he's never seen anyone the like of Rasulullah she felt something inside herself. Because it said that even one day while she was doing tawaf of the Kaaba, one of the Jews who was near there in Mecca had called out that, listen, there's going to be a prophet who will emerge here. The Jews had already known, like the Christians had known, that there are certain predictions of a prophet to come. She had already had something in her heart. She sat with her friend Nafisa. Like any lady, you want to get married to someone, you may sit with your best friend. You may discuss, imagine one day he proposes for me. Imagine one day I get married to him. What do you think, for example, if this person comes and proposes, do you think we're a good match? She sat with Nafisa salam. She said to her, Nafisa, what do you think? That if I want to put forward a proposal, Nafisa said, no problem. I'll take the proposal. We'll go to his uncle's. And we'll say that you want to marry him. You are a lady of distinction. How old was she at the time when she wanted the scent? How many times when we were growing up, all you ever heard was Sayyidah Khadija's 40. Isn't that true? And that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was how old? 25. You always hear the same thing. I found eight different opinions when it comes to the age of Sayyidah Khadija salam. Ranging from 25 all the way up until 45. 
Eight different opinions. Habibi, what is it? Yani, what are we doing? A theory of quantum physics or something? So what's the age? Some will go towards 40, 44, 45. Others, no, 25, 28. And that's why you find when you analyze these, it's not just Shi'i scholars who talk about an age of 25 or 28. You may find non-Shi'a scholars in their discussions who reach a conclusion that say the Khadija was in her 20s. Why then the push on 40? Maybe because it makes her look old, whereas others were young. It makes her look like she's been touched, while others were virgin. Because they started to spread this idea that, you know, Sayyidina Khadija, before she married Rasulullah Sayyidina Khadija had already been married twice. They say that if you go, for example, you'll see that she was married to a man by the name of Abu Hala and a man by the name of Atiq ibn Aith. And that she gave one a daughter by the name of Hala, another a daughter by the name of Hind. And that's why Sayyidina Khadija's kunya is what? Um Hind. MashaAllah, Um Hind. She's, they say that therefore, Sayyidina Khadija was 40, and Sayyidina Khadija had been married twice. What else do you want to do? You, you can keep uh, destroying her. Keep going, going ahead. Go ahead, because it's as if you want to find every single, what you perceive as blemish. At the end of the day, if you marry someone who is 40, there's no blemish there. And if someone's been married before and has children, there's no blemish there. But not with this case. This case was purposely done. Because this case was trying to make her sound like the old one. Because we know very well there were ladies who were married to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa who used to complain about why he always mentions Khadija. There was a blatant jealousy of Sayyida Khadija, of these people against Sayyida Khadija alayhi salam. So what did they do? And of course, if, you know, if Hind's grandchildren have got the pens or are narrating, then they're going to pay off people to say that this lady is married twice before. She's already got kids with others. She's already been touched by other men. Therefore, she's not like the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi It's haram for you to marry after the Prophet married them. And therefore, no man has seen them. Men have seen Khadija. Abu Hala and for example, Ibn Aad, they've seen Khadija. Whereas who's seen Um Salama? Nobody. But we know that Um Salama, for example, was a widow and others were widows. So maybe it wasn't against all wives. Maybe it was trying to put one wife against one wife. That there's one wife, young, virgin, never touched. Whereas there's another, old, being touched, given, him, uh, given others children. For us, it's not like these things affect me in my overall outlook of Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. For me, Sayyidah Khadija remains the greatest wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, with none coming an inch near her. Nine years living with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, is that comparable to 26? It's not. But sometimes historians work hard to put a stab into the character of some people. True? Sometimes they put stabs, Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, they put a stab that maybe, maybe he was the one who the verse about don't approach salah while you're drunk. Maybe it was about Ali ibn Abi Talib salam. They try and put a stab that Imam al-Hassan, the man of divorces, another stab Imam al-Hussein was a person who rejected what his brother, always these stabs come into the books of history. For us, Sayyidah Khadija is the purest of the pure. She then spoke to Nafisa, 
Nafisa said, let's speak. Let's go to Abu Talib. Abu Talib, straight away. Yalla, let's go. We'll go with the proposal. Abu Talib was ready. Abu Talib wanted to see nothing else but the happiness of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. He wanted to see his nephew settle down. He was the kafil, the one who had looked after this orphan. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Alam, yajidka yateeman fa'awa. Did we not find you an orphan and we looked after you? Abu Talib السلام, had looked after Rasulullah He had looked after him in every area. So therefore, who else is there to go to when you want to get married but Abu Talib? Abu Talib said to him, Muhammad he said to him, Ya Rasulullah, he said to him, O Prophet of God. And yes, some people will say, well, he hasn't announced his prophethood. Just because Rasulullah hasn't announced his prophethood doesn't mean the likes of Abu Talib don't know that he's a prophet of Allah. They know. He comes to him, he says to him that there's a proposal. And the proposal has come from who? From Khadija, the daughter of Khuwailid. Her father was a man of excellent repute. She is a pure lady. A lady who has the best reputation of all ladies. As it's no coincidence, when we hear the hadith, the four women of Jannah, who are they? As in, is that not enough for you to realize? Asiya, Maryam, Khadija and Fatima. That's when we see this, therefore, he said at that moment that the proposal has come. Notice the proposal comes from the lady to the man. Why in our culture do we only say man to the lady? Why can it not be the lady to the man? If you like somebody, you send a proposal. They say yes, they say yes. They say no, it's their loss or it's not your qismah. Why is it? In the same way, in the Quran, إِنِّي أُرِيدُ أَنْ أُنْكِحَكَ أَحْدَ بْنَتَيَّ هَاتَيْنِ عَلَىٰ أَنْ تُجَرَنِي ثَمَانِيَ حِجَجْ In the same way in the Quran, when Shu'aib says that I want you to marry one of my two daughters, likewise a father can take a proposal on behalf of his daughter. Abu Talib came, he said that there is no lady like Khadija the highest repute, and there is no son like Muhammad He is the man of wisdom, a man from the line of Ibrahim Every line possible that you want in a proposal, in a khutubah, Abu Talib came with. Her uncle Amr, he said, La, no. What do you mean no? They said, no, we're not going to give. Because there's a wealth difference here. How many times that happens in our communities? We're from a rich family and you're not. That sometimes can be real. Because the reality is that in Islamic law, if, some, if a girl is used to living in a particular way, then the husband has to make sure it is wajib upon him that if she asks to continue living in that way, then he has to. But on the other hand, if all you're concerned about is someone's money, then you've missed the point. The uncle said what? He said, how much money? You don't have the money? Who intervened? Said Khadija. She said, I'll look after the mahar. What other questions do you have, uncle? You got a problem with him paying the mahar? Because you guys want a high mahar in some cases. I'll pay the mahar. I'll look after all the mahar. I want to be married to Muhammad I have found nobody in the whole of Mecca, who resembles his akhlaq, his iman, his trustworthiness, his truthfulness. There is nobody of the like. Who read the aqid nikah of, Abu of Khadija and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Abu Talib alayhi salam. And you know when we give this argument, because you know every year you hear people saying Abu Talib is a kafir, or I'm not sure if Abu Talib is... Uh, a Muslim, non-Shia, of course. Shia, alhamdulillah, we're proud. Abu Talib, I can't wait to meet Abu Talib. Abu Talib is the king of Jannah. 
Insha'Allah, if God allows us into Jannah, we will see Abu Talib there. And for those of you who doubt, well, his son splits heaven and hell. Anyway, when you see Abu Talib reading that aqad, you know what non-Shia say? Yes, this was before the Quran was revealed. After the Quran was revealed, then the aqad only can be done by a muwahid. But before Islam, before the Quran, a mushrik like Abu Talib can be the one who reads the aqad. We reply, what's the difference? His own aqad, he is reciting the aqad of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and Sayyidah Khadija, and he's mentioning the Lord of Ibrahim, the Lord of the prophets of God. What else do you need? As in some of us are Muslims and we don't even know about the Lord or the prophets of Allah. And here he is, Abu Talib, making it clear in the aqad, the dowry, and she said straight away, let's slaughter a camel, and there's a side of her that is wonderful. What is it? Let's slaughter a camel. Give it out to everybody, because there is no social philanthropist like Sayyida Khadija Sayyida Khadija lived in a time where baby girls were being buried alive. We've read in the Quran many ayahs. Either, وَإِذَا بُشِّرَ أَحَدْهُمْ بِالْأُنْثَى ضَلَّ وَجْهُهُ مُسْوَدًّا وَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ When one of them is given the news of a female to be born to him, his face darkens and he tries to restrain the anger. Another ayah, وَإِذَا الْمَوْغُودَةُ سُئِلَتْ بِأَيِّ ذَنْبٍ the female baby will ask on the day of judgment, for what reason was I buried alive? Sayyida Khadija was known for one thing. What was it? Any lady, if her baby she fears for her life because she's given birth to a female, come to my house in the middle of the night. There were some, it's narrated, they came with a baby in a sack. Because if you're holding a baby, the husband finds out he kills the baby. So some would even put a baby in a sack to pretend that we're just carrying some food. They'd come to Sayyidah Khadija, middle of the night. Sayyidah Khadija said, you got to wake me up at 3 a.m. You wake me up at 4 a.m. It does not matter. Come knock, feel free to enter. Because sometimes people with wealth become more generous. Sometimes people with wealth become more stingy. It's amazing. You have some with wealth who are unbelievably stingy, but maybe that's how they became wealthy. Then there are others with wealth who are saying life is too short and there are people who have not been given the opportunities that I have. So why don't I give from my wealth? Where's your husband? He's going to kill the girl. How much will it take not to kill? Give me an amount, I'll pay. Social philanthropist. Her hijab wasn't just covering her hair. There was a social element to the hijab where she became a symbol for the empowerment of the female in Arabian society. Therefore, what happened? She gets married to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and they build their house. They continue their business. They build their house. They try and find a balance in their life. Not too much work and no concern about the tarbiyah of the children because there's differences of opinion as to how many children they had. Some say that there was four daughters that were given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Holy Prophet Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam where we hear the names Zainab, Umm Kulthum, Ruqayya, and Fatima al-Zahra, salam. Others talk of one daughter. And then, then we mention, of course, the sons. Because the sons, they mention as two or three. Sometimes you hear, for example, about Qasim. Sometimes you hear, for example, about uh, Tahir. You hear the name Abdullah. You hear all of these different names. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed them with these children. When he blessed them, neither did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa spend all his time out 
and not be with the children, nor did she spend all her time business and not enough time with the children. They knew of the utmost importance was the children. But one thing for her as well that strengthened her was what? Was that even her with all her purity and all her faith, Allah tested her with the death of her children. It's not easy. I know that there are mothers out there who have had a miscarriage. There are some who've had the stillbirth. It's not easy when you're sitting with your wife. She gives birth and the child is dead. It's not easy when your baby dies after a couple months. What do I say to all those mothers who are watching, who have seen such a thing? I say to them, your role model, the person you hold on to, and you empathize with was Sayyidah Khadija Imagine you have a newborn male, dies. Newborn male, dies. And imagine Arabia, at least in our time, we have phone lines, we have family, we have cousins, we have hostels, we have hospitals, we have psychologists. In that time, Arabia, what were they doing? Because they knew very well that this person is a person of importance. You had some who slagged her off and others who tried to come and help her. Of those who slagged her off, you had those who were calling her husband, Abtar, 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 Abtar. When the animal's, cut is, uh, when the animal's uh, tail is cut, they say that it's Abtar. And therefore, the Arabs would say, Muhammad, where's your sons? One dies after the other, you Abtar. How difficult must it be psychologically? People say, Sayyidina, why do we suffer? Why do we have trials? Look at Rasulullah Khadija. You think what, their marriage had no trials? Their marriage was one without difficulties? Who were the success is when you begin to love each other more over the difficult period, you get tighter to each other. When they saw that the child was dying, she maintained her patience. Allah is with those who are patient she maintained her patience others will say why are we going to the mosque why do you even want to read dua why are you even praying look my child's dead because some people even start having thoughts of leaving religion when this calamity happens on the contrary you i will be your backbone ya i'll be with you wherever and that's why my dear brothers and sisters when the revelation came to announce his nabawi we have a completely different understanding of it from non-Shia in the world. We know the two main schools in Islam, the Sunni and the Shia. When that first revelation of the Quran came, the Sunni version is what? Which you can read in the Sahah. Whether you want to go to Bukhari, for example, you can read it there. That this holy prophet of ours was uncertain about this revelation. And what do you want me to read? And then you read other piece of literature, it's as if he's having a seizure, wants to jump off the mountain. And then he comes home and Khadija, he tells her what happened. And Khadija says, let's go to my cousin Waraka bin Nawfal, a Christian, and he'll verify what this is. Firstly, for me as a Shi'i, do I accept such things? Of course I don't, no chance. Why don't I accept? Number one, my prophet had known Jibra'il before that day. So why is he getting all scared when Jibra'il has come? Yes, the message is a heavy message. It's a heavy message. But why would I be scared? Number two, my prophet wants to jump off a cliff. Then why is he a prophet? I could have done the job. My prophet is the embodiment of an upright model of spirituality, of honor, of dignity.
the highest character. Number three, when my prophet goes back to his wife Khadija, yes, I agree with you. He'd go home to his wife. His wife would tell him, let's ask a Christian to verify if you're a prophet. So why doesn't the Christian become a prophet? If you've got the ability to verify who prophets are, then why don't you become a prophet? Why is it that I go to a Christian to verify? You really think, Sayyidah Khadija would say, let's go to my cousin and he'll verify? That's not my Sayyidah Khadija, that's yours. My Sayyidah Khadija is who? She is a lady who knew that the revelation had come. She wrapped up her husband knowing that the mission was about to begin. The word of the Lord had come upon him. She was the one who helped him at that moment and said to him that I will support you in everything that we're going to face. Whatever we're going to see in front of us, I am there as your supporter. None of this seizure, suicide, epilepsy, jumping off a cliff, wants to come back and is going crazy. That's not my prophet. My prophet, he comes home to Sayyidah Khadija and he has two back, three backbones at that time. Who are they? He mentions that in a hadith, this religion would never have spread were it not for the wealth of Khadija and the sword of Ali. Those were two backbones. His uncle Abu Talib. And why do I say that Sayyidah Khadija would not be baffled by Rasulullah coming from the mountain? Because her and Imam Ali used to join Rasulullah at the cave of Hira years before anyone else even knew about the revelation. As Imam Ali used to say, I used to follow him like the child of the she-camel follows its mother. It was only me and Khadija who were with him. Who is it that used to pray alongside Rasulullah while others were mushriks, polytheists, worshipping idols, slapping their sisters? Who was it that was with Rasulullah right from the beginning? Khadija and Ali, they were the ones, and I'm not talking about when the revelation came, before the revelation, who fed Ali ibn Abi Talib, salawatullah wa salamu alayhi, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa who raised Ali ibn Abi Talib, salawatullah wa salamu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa who was with Rasulullah looking after Ali, Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam, Imam Ali was 10 years of age or so, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa received the revelation or just a bit older so therefore you found that Sayyidah Khadija was not somebody who was baffled by this they used to go to Ghar Hira they used to sit there they used to pray there they used to meditate there we're not talking about a wife of Rasulullah who comes from a background of shirk a wife of Rasulullah who came from a background of merrymaking we're talking about a wife of Rasulullah who was in the line of Ibrahim of those who knew Jibra'il and used to smell the scent of revelation therefore when that revelation began Abu Talib Ali his son Khadija al-Kubra these were the very backbones and never once did she trouble him. You see, if you look in the Quran, my dear brothers and sisters, those of you who are sitting at home, in the Quran, how many verses have you read where wives of the Prophet trouble him? Subhanallah. Look in Surah Al-Ahzab. I'll give you two surahs to read. Whether you're Shia, you're not Shia, all our Quran is the same. Even ours is printed in Saudi. Don't worry. Whether you're Shia, you're not Shia, go to two surahs in the Quran. Surah Al-Ahzab. And Surah Tahrim, Surah 33, Surah 66, not difficult to remember, double 33 and 66. In Surah 33, from verses, which verses? From verses 28 onwards, 
we see the two groups of the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi who he even says, those of you who want this dunya, come, I'll let you go. Those verses in Surah 33 that says, whoever of you comes out with a public piece of indecency will punish her double punishment. But the worst is Surah Al-Tahreem. Divulging secrets to one another and a request of Tawbah has to be done and divorce is discussed. Wives of the Prophet ﷺ, in some cases gave him severe headaches. They gave him headache after headache. Where's our booty from Khaybar? Why is it you like this Maria Al-Qibtiya? Why do you like this Zainab more than us? Jealousy beyond jealousy. I ask you, did Khadija ever give him one headache? One headache did Khadija ever give him? He said, Allah did not grant me better than Khadija alayhi salam. Allah did not grant me better than Khadija. Everybody else, when they rejected me, she's the one who accepted me. Others boycotted me. She spent her wealth on me. It's a tragedy in the Muslim Ummah that the grave of Sayyida Khadija in Mecca is forgotten, neglected in Jannat al-Mu'allat. You go there, someone's standing there, he says to you, this is nothing, nothing, just go, go. Baba, this lady's wealth is the reason you're a human. If, you weren't a hu if it wasn't for her wealth, you'd be like the rest of the Arabs. But this lady's wealth is the one that took you out of Jahiliyyah. She was that backbone whenever they would come and attack her husband, the likes of Umm Jamil, the wife of Abu Lahab, and the sister of Abu Sufyan and Hind, and they'd gossip and slander. Who do you think was there? And she gave him Fatima. She used her wealth to support him. And the Quran said, We found you in need, in poor. We made you self-sufficient and rich through Khadija. She gave him Fatima, and Fatima Zahra, a lot of her strength, a lot of her patience was looking at the strength and the patience of the role model that was her mother Khadija. Because when it came to that period, as we know, Fatima Zahra, when her mother died, Fatima Zahra was how old? It was five years of age when her mother died. And you look at Fatima Zahra, she would always be close to her mother, witnessing everything that her mother witnessed, especially the most difficult thing for her mother. And for Fatima was what? The boycott of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, the early Muslims by the Quraysh. The Quraysh decided that we're going to boycott Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, Abu Talib, Khadija, and the others. Nobody can sell food to them. Nobody can trade with them. You don't even marry anyone from them. You don't marry anyone from them. Abu Talib السلام, having seen that there were 40 signatories there who had all gathered at Mina to make this decision, Abu Talib said, do not worry. We'll stand up against them. We go to my valley. A man who gives his valley to the religion of Islam. You have the audacity to call kafir. <laughs> Wallah, this is the problem in our history. The ones who gave nothing became and the one who gave his valley at a moment, you know what a boycott is? Economic sanctions. You see a country which has economic sanctions. You can't breathe. Can you breathe? You can't breathe. 
Fatwa to Zahra alayhi salam when these economic sanctions were happening was a child. Can you imagine your child? All of you living in one place and at times she'd come to her mother. You know when her mother gave birth to her, something broke her heart. And something broke the heart of Fatima Zahra later when she would hear the story. The ladies of Mecca all boycotted the mother when she was giving birth. You know normally a mom, this girl when she's giving birth she wants her mom next to her. This girl, when she's giving birth, who does she want next to her? She wants her friends next to her. You know, you, you always want some support. Khadija was boycotted by Mecca. How many she had helped? But Imam Ali says it beautifully. Beware of the evil of the ones you've been generous to. Beware of the evil of the ones you've been generous to. And so Khadija, on the day she gave birth to Fatima, looked at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa She said, Ya Rasulullah, do you see the lights? He said, yes. He said, these are the ladies of Jannah. Allah sent them. That if others boycott me, they were with me. Are you surprised if Mary comes to be next to Khadija? Are you surprised if Asiya is there? Are you surprised if other great ladies of Mecca stood proudly there and made sure that they were loyal? There were ladies who were there, but Fatima Zahra, this broke her heart. That everybody boycotted my mom? Is that what happened when she gave birth to me? My mother? All of you just left her? When that happened, the economic sanctions had taken place. There were days when Fatima Zahra would be to her dad, to her mom, Khadija, mom, where's dad? said he's sleeping in a different place tonight why because they want to kill him she'd say to her mom how much sabr you must have you know what she'd reply to her this is little in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whole line Khadija Fatima Zainab there is a common denominator between them whatever we see as suffering for them, they see as little in the way of Allah. Allahumma taqabbal minna hadha al-qaleel. Allahumma taqabbal minna hadha al-qurban. This is a sacrifice. Mom, where's dad? Fatima al-Zahra was how old? Five years of age. Mom, where's dad? I want to see my father. Where is he? And say, he's in a different place. Okay, no problem. Who's sleeping in his bed tonight? Ali, son of Abu Talib. Fatima al-Zahra gets introduced. To the young Imam Ali sleeping in the bed of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Khadija, what would you do with her wealth? Make sure whatever we can get, here's my money. You can still go out if someone can help us. I may have some cousins or nephews in Meccan society. They may send us some bread. Give them the money. Give the money. Give the money. Give the money. Alongside her, Abu Talib. Abu Talib saying, you know what? My sons will protect Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Nobody's going to touch us. We're going to stay here. Even if all of you boycott us. Until that year became the year of sadness for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And no doubt when we honor her wafat every year, it's a year of sadness, a day of sadness, a month of sadness for us. Because it was then that Abu Talib alayhi salam died because of the hardship of these sanctions. You know, in some cases they were eating plants. 
in some cases because there's no one dealing with them from supermarkets or from businesses. So in some cases they had nothing to eat. And this Khadija would give everything away from herself until one night when the sadness had begun to overcome her, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said to her, Khadija, Jibra'il came to me. He said, Allah has built for you a house in Jannah. On the one hand, when he said that, she was so pleased. On the other, he got the hint that this means that she's coming towards her final moments. May Allah give you all sabr wherever you are at home. Because this lady for Al Muhammad is everything. Even Imam Al Hussein, when he came out in Karbala in his final moments, he said, Am I not the grandson of Khadija al Kubra? Is Sayyidah Khadija not my grandmother? Is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam not my grandfather? They loved Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. None more so than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If he ever saw that one of his wives had insulted Khadija, he'd make it clear, oh Humaira, he'd look towards her and he'd say very clearly, Allah honored me with this woman, this kind woman, with the sons he gave me from her as well. Fatima, what did you give me? What he created? To do and you gave nothing back towards me. Nobody was like Sayyida Khadija alayhi salam to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. 26 years and he could have married somebody else. He was in his youth. If Muslims are allowed to marry four, how comes he only stuck with Khadija and nobody else? Because he made it clear that there is no love like my love for Khadija. She is the love of my life. Can you therefore imagine when he looks at her lying on the ground in Mecca and sees the pain overcoming her and the pain that overcame Fatima al-Zahra alayhi Normally when you bury someone, you would expect that there is a shroud to cover their body. But imagine economic sanctions dictate that you can't even have a piece of cloth to cover the body of your beloved. He wanted a piece of cloth to cover that body. He realized that there is no piece of cloth even available at that time. The narrations mention that at this moment, at this moment she looked at him in the eyes. She knew that he was troubled by what was happening. She knew that at this moment he was being affected by what was happening. She told him, come towards me, Ya Rasulullah, come towards me. He came towards her that final time. When he came towards her that final time, he looked towards her eyes. She looked towards the eyes of Rasulullah. She looked towards him she said to him I have one wasiyah he said to her what is it she said to him Fatima look after Fatima as he went towards Fatima Zahra she looked him in the eyes and she said to him Aina Ummi Aina Ummi Aina Ummi Ya Rasulallah she looked towards him 
time she's a dream. Where is my mother, my beloved mother, oh Prophet of Allah? What can he reply to Fatima, to the young Fatima? He knows that her heart is broken. He knows that that young Fatima used to love her mother and now her mother's no more. The narrations mention that he tried to get a shroud. He wanted a shroud to bury her body, to bury her body with a full shroud. He looked one way, he looked the other. He realized that there wasn't a shroud that was long enough. It's as if they allude that Jibrail came towards him. He said to him, Ya Rasulullah, take this shroud. How many shrouds would Rasulullah want? As for the first shroud, that first shroud to cover the body of Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. If he gave him a second shroud, it was to cover whose body? To cover the body of Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam when she dies. As for the third shroud, who? For Amir al-Mu'mineen when he dies. As for the fourth shroud, for who? For Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam when he dies. But if ever, if ever there was a shroud that he needed, then a shroud for the body of Abba Abdullah when he lay on the ground in Karbala. All of those had shrouds when they died. Sayyidah Khadija, there was some sort of shroud. Fatima al-Zahra, another, albeit with a rib that was broken. Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen, another, albeit with a head that was covered with blood. Imam al-Hasan, another, albeit with arrows all over it. But one man, one man, his body lay there for three nights with no kafana to cover him. When Khadija had died, she had said that my wasiya is that you look after Fatima. That's all I want, that you look after her and the rest of the people honor her. Fatima is my life. Fatima is everything to me. Make sure no man ever hits her. Make sure no man ever attacks her. Inshallah, one day she'll have babies. Inshallah, she'll never be in danger. Did Rasulullah make sure that no man ever hits her? Yes. Did Rasulullah do his wajib that he made sure that she got married? Of course he did. Did Rasulullah make sure that danger was averted? That there's no doubt about. But I ask you, my dear brothers and sisters, when Rasulullah died, did they honor his daughter or did they take her sanctity away from her? All Khadija wanted was for the daughter to be protected and for for the daughter to be looked after one day a slap and another day a child miscarried and another day a fire that burns the house we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to raise us with Muhammad and Al Muhammad raise us with the Imam of our time Imam Sahib al-Asri wa-Zaman we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of our brothers around the world, especially our brothers and sisters who face difficulties in this time. We have a sister of ours in Mozambique who has been missing for a number of days. Ya Allah, return her in the name of Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam. 
We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of our beloved ones who are unwell in this period. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of our beloved ones in the name of the verse of the Quran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Amman yujibu al-muftar idha da'ah wa yakshifu al-su'ah. Amman yujibu al-muftar idha da'ah wa yakshifu al-su'ah. أَمَّا يُجِيبُ الْمُفْطَرَ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءَ أَمَّا يُجِيبُ الْمُفْطَرَ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءَ أَمَّا يُجِيبُ الْمُفْطَرَ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءَ We pray to Allah subhanahu wa taala that He allows us the ziyara of Sayyid Khadija alayhi salam and He grants us the shafaa of Sayyid Khadija alayhi salam. Ya Allah, restore the grace. of Sayyidah Khadija alayhi salam and allow all Muslims worldwide Shia and non-Shia to come together to honor the greatest wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the surah al-fatiha in honor of all of our marhumeen but before it wherever you may be the loudest of salawat and we welcome our respected mullah to come towards the front with the loudest of your salawat Oh, 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 oh,